very much, I tell you. And it does draw nigh. Amen? Amen. All right, our text is Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. I don't have my cell phone tonight. I had it this morning. And I showed you, I said, all right, I've got a beautiful woman on there. And I put it up there, and you saw the picture of my wife on there. When we got home, she said, what did you do? You know, I mean, uh, you must have did something that you'd be that nice, okay? So uh, she asked me, what did I do? And, you know, it made me think back when I'd proposed to her for marriage. Back in that day, you know, it's when the military was a good thing. You know, today, that's not cool with a lot of these kids. But uh, back in that day... It was, it was a good thing. You know, you really respected those that were in the military. And a lot of the girls wanted to marry a military man. I mean, he's in military training. He's going through basic training. He's learning all these things. He's going through, uh, oh, survival training. So he learns. He can, he can cook. He can sew. He can make beds. And because of all the training, he's in good health. And the seller on that was the fact that He's learned to take orders. <laughs> I'm still learning, okay? No wonder I got rejected. Okay, that's, that was it. The, the military rejected me. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, we're in Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12, so follow along as I read. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord. Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself unto God. Now, shall we pray? Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this evening. I pray thy spirit would make it very clear to each of us. I pray that we would see exactly the things that I'm not able to say here tonight and get a vision of what's ahead and a burden for the souls of men. Work in a special way. If there's one again in this auditorium who does not know if they died today that heaven's their home, may today be the day they receive Christ as Savior. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I've titled this sermon, <clears throat> Eternal Contrast, and a contrast is something that is strikingly different from something else when they are placed in close proximity, side by side, and so forth. For an example, a friend of mine will call me from Ohio. It's January, and he said, man, it's 18 degrees up here and a foot of snow. To my, which I answer, I say, well, pray for me, would you? I, it's 70 degrees down here. And it's clear as a bell, and I'm just afraid that I'll go out and get a sunburn. <laughs> For some reason or other, they don't get the humor in that that I do, okay? But uh, that's a contrast, okay, in the same country, but a contrast in the weather. Well, there are eternal contrasts, those things that are different as night and day in eternity. And that's what I want us to consider from God's Word. Our text is the area of judgment. Now, when he said every one, he meant no one is excluded. Every one of us will give account of ourselves unto God. So I want us to look at first at the contrast of eternal life and eternal damnation. 
first look at life. And to look at life, I think we just simply consider the Scriptures. The best, the, really the best explanation is the Word of God itself, because then you're getting it factually 100%. And so let's allow the Scriptures to speak for themselves. Uh, we must remember the fall of Adam and the consequences that were there. Romans 5.12, For it's by one man sin entered to the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. For that all have sinned. Okay. We died because Adam. The first man. He became the head of the human race. In that we mean that we receive our spirit. We receive our cells. This being that we have. That nature that we have. We receive first from him. Okay. So Adam and Eve the first parents, and we receive our sin nature from them because they sinned. And, and so, you know, when you think about it, here's Adam. He's what we, some call it the federal head, some call it the seminal head, however you want to call it. He was the head of the race, and it's through him that we have this fallen nature. Now, so, for us, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22, it says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, here's Christ. He's, he becomes Fully human. He's always existed as spirit in eternity past. He's always been the son of God. Always. There's not a time where he wasn't. He's always been the son of God. He became the son of man 2,000 years ago. And a physical son of God. The only begotten son physically of God. And so because he became the son of God. He became a human. Sometimes we refer to him as the second Adam. Okay. Through the first Adam we receive a sin nature. Through the second Adam, we receive a new nature. Okay? And so that's how that is set up. And, and that's great. God had that all worked out even before creation started. God told Adam that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, they'd surely die. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, he said, in the day. Well, they ate of it. But isn't it interesting? They didn't die physically that day. Adam lived another 900 years, over 900 years. They did not die physically that day. And yet, the Lord said, in that day you'd surely die. They did die that day, spiritually. The Bible says it is appointed a man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Spiritually, that day, Adam and Eve died. Because the word uh, death does not mean ceasing to exist, as we've told you many times. It means separation. And in that very day, Adam and Eve's spirit was separated from God. Doomed for an eternal lake of fire. So that when they would be separated from their body they would go to that place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. And so, man is doomed. His final eternal, damn, his eternal destination is damnation. 
And the only hope that man would have is a Savior. And so in Genesis 3.15, God said something very important, the seed of a woman. Well, we know that every child born is the seed of a man, the seed of a woman. The Spirit of God came upon Mary, who was a virgin. By the way, don't add anything sexual in there like I've heard some try to do. A spirit is not sexual, okay? And seed, because God is creator of all, was placed inside of Mary. That seed was developed by God the Father over the next nine months, and that baby that was born was the Son of God. The seed of the woman. It was important that he be virgin born, that he not inherit the sin nature and that we receive from Adam. Okay, that was very important. And so, uh, the seed of the woman spoke of the virgin birth. That's why the virgin birth is important. It's important that we understand that. Uh, we talk, talk about it at Christmas time, but do you realize that is very important for the salvation of our souls? He was virgin born. Now, without this, they will be imprisoned for eternity in a corruptible body. Now, I, I wrote something down here. I'm going to read it to you because I said I'll commit this to memory. And by Friday, I says, I'm not going to remember it. So I'm going to write it down in, in my handwriting, which is another thing, trying just to read it myself. But a body sacrifice for sin because our sin from the first Adam was in a body. So it must be punished in a body. The fruit of the tree, of all the trees of the garden, was for the body. When they partook of the fruit for which they were not allowed, they corrupted the body. Okay? Now, God intended, when he created man in his image, which God is a spirit, and he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, that spirit, and that image. But he placed that spirit in a body. And if man sinned, that body would need to be condemned because holiness always demands full payment for sin. Forgiveness pays the entire debt itself. Remember in Matthew chapter 18 where it talks about the man that owed so much and, and some said that that could have been up to a million dollars. I don't know what they say there, but he owed so much and then the other guy that owed him about $50, even though the king forgave him, he would not forgive this man that owed him $50. And so the king says, okay. I'm putting you in jail until you pay all. You're going to put that man in jail, I'm going to do the same thing to you until you pay all. Well, paying a million dollars and $50 is a big difference, isn't it? And that's the kind of idea that is there. Well, uh, forgiveness, to begin with, on the king's part, was to forgive them all and accept the loss. Now he would owe every bit of it. 
Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. But if we do not receive it, then we owe every bit of it. Okay? So when I said this morning, 69,000 sins, if I'm not saved, I owe every bit of it. Think of people who die without Jesus Christ. So again, by becoming a man, sinless, and paying our penalty on the cross, by accepting the fullness of the outpoured wrath of the Almighty God the Father upon His human spirit and body, He paid our penalty in full. Conquered death and hell, and the Bible says that He has the keys of hell and of death. Don't ever forget, the resurrection is just as important as the death of Christ on the cross. That's, that alone, besides the Bible saying not to make an image of anything in heaven, therefore I don't wear a crucifix. But that in itself tells me the devil likes a crucifix because he doesn't want us to see a risen Savior. And so that resurrection is just as important as the crucifixion of Christ. And so because he has the keys of hell and death, Therefore, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So, in the resurrection, we receive a body, but it's not this corruptible body. And praise the Lord for that. But we receive a body that's fashioned like unto his glorious body. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, in John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, he says, I am the door. That is Jesus speaking. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what Satan did in the garden through the serpent. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have, have it more abundantly. Not just life. He wants us to have abundant life. So you won't be ashamed at his appearing. If you're saved and you live an obedient life as a Christian, then you'll hear well done, good and faithful servant at his appearing. Now, you're the one who makes that decision. You have a free will to either receive or reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have that free will. But you also have a free will, after you're saved, to live an obedient life to the will of God and the Word of God. And that's the difference between well done and ashamed at His appearing. You will forever, you will live forever, should I say, because you were created in the image of God. God is a spirit. But your spirit will live forever either in heaven or the eternal lake of fire. Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't God's intention for man. But man by free will after his sin decides rather to accept God's salvation or not. But he never really wanted anyone to go there. In John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. But then you see faith, verse 18. When you get to John chapter 1, verse 18, he says, No man has seen God at 
any time. The only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. We know God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how we know God. He hath declared him. So again, when we look at verses like that, uh, we must understand that hell was a place that torments super spirits. That is, fallen angels, the devil's spirits. We remember the story of the Gadarene. By the way, when we go to Israel, when we've gone to Israel, we've visited that place called uh, Gadara. And, and I tell you, it, it is a place you could understand where there would be evil spirits because it's just, it's just there side of mountain. It's nothing. It's nothing. But those devils, a legion of them, inside that demoniac that the, the dwelt among the tombs, they, they, he, he, he just was tormented. And when the Lord was going to cast those devils out, he said, let us go into the swine. I heard a swine. Why? Because they said, don't send us there before the time. Look, those devils believe and tremble. They didn't want to go to that place that torments super spirits. If it torments super spirits, it will torment a human spirit. That tells us something. Therefore, it must really be bad. The contrast is, is then, on the one side, eternal life, living with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we'll read those verses a little bit later, but it says that we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, for our conversation. Now, usually when you see the word conversation in the Bible, it means uh, our demeanor of life. But for some reason or other, the way it's worded and the way it's stated in the book of Philippians, it appears two times, and each time it's referring to citizenship. So when you read the word conversation in the book of Philippians, it's citizenship. For our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven, from which... We also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it should be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So again, it's not this body. It's not an overhaul of this body. No, it's a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. Our spirit will dwell in that body. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's a spiritual body and there's a natural body. When a person dies now to go be with the Lord, a loved one dies and they're saved and they go to be with the Lord, the Bible doesn't just say, well, that's better. It's far better for them. You know, we ought to be happy for them and sad for us, but happy for them. You know, they're in a far better place. They're hearing things that it's unlawful. They're so holy to, to, to render them on earth. There's joy in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal joy. But oh, the contrast of hell. In Luke chapter 16, uh, there's other places you can go, but I just think it's a little more concise in Luke. So in Luke chapter 16, I'm going to spend a little bit of time there. 
on this place called hell. Uh, and, and understand, right now when a man dies without Christ, his spirit goes to the hell. Now that's not the eternal lake of fire. Okay. Uh, jail, uh, hell right now is kind of like jail. A person dies without Christ, you know, going to jail, that's where they're held until they get sent to the eternal lake of fire at the great white throne judgment. And they suffer there forever. But now, isn't it interesting, because you have Christians that were burned at the stake and turned to ashes. You've got people that, in various areas and all that, they were also burnt. They weren't saved. But their bodies were burnt to ashes. Evidently, there's some kind of a spiritual body for the Christian until we receive our new body that he lives in, where he enjoys all these things in heaven, in paradise. For the man in hell, he's also got a body because that body will not pass away, and yet that body will feel anything that this human body would feel. Put that finger in the fire, it will burn. Stub your toe, it will hurt. They'll have a body that will not be able to consume away. You say, well, that sounds ridiculous to me. Well, it's not so ridiculous. Do you remember that Moses saw a burning bush and it didn't consume? So that's not, that's not anything unusual that hasn't happened before because there was a burning bush that did not consume even though it was dry. I mean, that was in a desert that happened. You would think, boy, that thing would burn up right away. It did not burn up right away. And so, uh, in eternity, if God created the heaven and the earth, that's not a problem for him. Okay. Now, in Luke 16, 24, he says, of the rich man, now Lazarus and the rich man, Lazarus has been taken to paradise. The rich man is in hell. And it says, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So he's there in torment and flame, and he has a desire for water, just like a body would hurt, just like a body would be tormented by what is going on there, by this torment that God causes there, and also there'd be desire for water. Now, all he remembers of Lazarus, because there's a great gulf separating him and paradise, the, the rich man in hell and paradise, there's a great gulf that, that is there, and so probably he can't see too well. He doesn't know that Lazarus, he can see he's confident, he sees everything's fine for him, maybe he doesn't know that there's also all his body is full of sores, that they're not there. But he was willing for Lazarus, that guy that he detested throughout his life, to just put his finger in water and touch his tongue. Just let him touch my tongue with, with his fingers dipped in water. That is a place of torment. But not only that, it's a place of remembrance and remembrance of this life. In Luke chapter 16, verse 25. But Abraham said, son, remember remember things of this past life are brought back to memory that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things but now he is comforted and thou art tormented let me tell you something it's 2,000 years later now 
And that rich man is still tormented in that place. 2,000 years from now, he'll still be tormented in that place. Throughout all eternity, he's going to be tormented and in the flames of fire. Night and day, no rest. Son, remember. I believe that many people in hell will remember. Maybe they sat in church on a Sunday morning, as this morning. They weren't sure they were saved or not. Boy, they didn't want to make a decision in front of people. And so, they're sitting there, and they hear the gospel presented, and they're giving an invitation to come and be saved, or you present a gospel one-on-one, and you ask them to be saved, and they refuse it. They, they say, not now. And I believe that they're going to be unsaved people in hell, hearing over and over their own inner voice saying, not now. I believe that hell is going to be filled with a bunch of people that may seem sane to us today, but they're going to be totally insane in that day. As they have the voice, their own voice, rejecting the salvation that would have saved them from that place. It's also a place of hopelessness. The place of actual pain, a place of actual, place where you're tormented day and night forever and ever, a place of remembrance, and then it's also a place of hopelessness. In verses 27 through 31, he says, when he said, uh, uh, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. He said, let Lazarus raise from the dead and go to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them that they also come, that they, uh, lest they come also into this place, this place of torment. Abraham saith unto them, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, They hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You realize the rich man knew that man needs to repent. Repentance is a part of salvation. The frustration of knowing the influence that he had on his own brothers, and he's praying. I mean, he's earnestly praying. Let, let somebody go to my brothers from this place. They'll repent if somebody rose from the dead. And he's told, no, even if one raises from the dead, they won't. And one did raise from the dead. He says, if they won't hear that Moses and the prophets, that's why we encourage you, use the word of God when you witness. The word of God has the power. If they won't hear that, your, your, your little things that you say and the little sales techniques that you have may get them to say words but it won't come into their heart but the rich man knew he knew the influence and again that's another part of it and oh the contrast between heaven and hell isn't it interesting when one dies 
Their spirit leads their body. They're in Christ. They're saved and it enters heaven's glory. Boy, they're meeting loved ones. There's rejoicing up there. They're seeing Jesus, the actual glorified Jesus. They're able to see him. But then, there's no party for the guy that's entering into hell. One second after death, he's going into a place of loneliness and darkness. There's no joy. No joy whatever. He's going into eternal damnation. Oh, my goodness. Now, there are other contrasts, and I want to look at those contrasts next Sunday. But for right now, I want us to see our responsibility as Christians in light of this knowledge. I have some thoughts on this. First of all, there is a crown of rejoicing for bringing people to Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. For ye are our glory and hope and joy. So they're going to be rejoicing when they get to heaven. They've led this person to Christ. You see a person that you led to Christ and you see them in heaven. Boy, that's going to be rejoicing. Just imagine leading your own child to Christ. They may have a lot to thank you for as a mother or a father and really rejoice over that. All the things in this life that you may have done for them, but the greatest thing that you will have ever done for your child is to bring them to Jesus Christ. In Daniel 12, 3, And they that uh, be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. What is our righteousness? Jesus Christ. And so he doesn't say they'll get saved. They've got a free will. But if we turn them to righteousness, whether they accept it or reject it, we turn them to Jesus Christ. He says, you'll shine as the stars forever. Now, here's one about the reward. If they do get saved, shining as the stars, even if they don't get saved, it must be very important in heaven. And to have that kind of reward, it also means there is an account that will be given. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 and 12, it says this. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death, and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not. Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? He that keepeth thy soul, doth he not know it? Shall not, the, shall not he render to every man according to his works? You can say, well, I just didn't know that person was unsaved. I didn't know I was supposed to witness that person. I didn't know. You can say that all you want to. You can make all the excuses you want. But one day you will stand before God and he sees the heart. And he shall render accordingly. Many times that's going to mean loss reward. A second thing I want you to see is that we truly have this hope in us. Then it should do something in our life. If we truly have this hope in us, it should do something in our life. First John chapter 3. Now I'm going to read it. Verses 1 through 3. Behold, what matter of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. 
Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man, verse 3 says, and every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Now, a lot of us believe Jesus is coming again. We believe what I've said about resurrection and about us having new bodies and so forth. We believe that. But that's an intellectual belief. It's a heart belief when it changes your life. As a Christian, as a Christian, a heart belief says, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to stop because that interferes with my purity. I don't see anything wrong with throwing a football, throwing a baseball, shooting a basketball. I don't see anything wrong with it at all. But there's something wrong when it interferes with my purity and it keeps me from witnessing. It keeps me out of God's house. It keeps me out of various things because I want to be a part of it. That interferes with my purity. That's a problem. That is a real problem. And every man that hath this hope, you're really believing you're going to give an account. You know you're going to stand before God. Then you're going to purify yourself even as he is pure. And that shows it is a real hope by living pure. In 1 John 2, 28, he says, And now, little children, abide in him. Make yourself at home in Jesus Christ. Make yourself at home in his word. Abide in him. Why should I abide in him? That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his appearing. Purity. A witness for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will make you so that you will have confidence at his appearing. And by the way, it also shows if your love for the Lord Jesus Christ is real. Now, I preach this to you because I want you to have what is the best for you in eternity. Now, anytime you say things about heaven or hell, and especially on hell and sin, people say, he's so unloving. And, and look, I felt that way when my dad was beating the daylights out of me with the belt. That is so unloving, but it was so deserved. But he was trying to teach us something. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, for they must give an account. One day I'll stand before the Lord. And as you're there at the judgment seat, I'll give an account when they show something in your life, did you preach that? By the way, that's why you don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. Yes, Lord, I preached it. He or she just wasn't there. And I will not have any joy in saying that. 
by what the Word of God says. We want to do it with joy and not with grief, for that's unprofitable for you when we give that account as a pastor. Ezekiel chapter 33, 8 and 9, when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, Thou shalt surely die, if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, uh, but thou hast delivered thy soul. That blood on your hands means a loss of reward. God wanted to reward it. But now you've lost it. But just imagine the look on the face of that person as you're witnessing there at the white throne judgment. You're watching it take place. You're not going to be cast into the lake of fire because you're saved. But you're watching And that person is there. That was the person that God had wanted you to witness to and you passed it up. Maybe it was fear, maybe it's something, but for whatever reason you did not witness and you can see the look of hate on their face as they're cast into that eternal lake of fire. And they're there for eternity, cursing your name forever. That's why I believe, as I said this morning, Revelation chapter 21, after the white throne is over, God shall dry all tears from their eyes. Let me just close with this. A third reason we witness is because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm just preaching the word of God tonight. But what I want you to understand and see, we will give an account. I have failed many times in this thing. I, I probably witness to someone at least every week, but I have failed many times. Many times. And what I'm trying to say to you is this, is that even though we fail, we don't need to stay down. A righteous man falling gets back up again. Get back up. Get on it. Be a witness. That's what we preached this morning about, about know the Lord. We want people to know the Lord. Will people hate? Yeah. Satan is opposed to us. It's a spiritual warfare. Don't focus on what Satan is going to say and think of you. Focus on the eternal, on eternity, on the eternal reward. Focus on the souls of men for salvation, not what they're saying about you. Focus on eternity. There's victory in Jesus. Let's bow our heads, please.